I want to begin with a, a word of prayer uh, just to steal and quiet my heart and uh, give you an opportunity to quiet your heart. Uh, maybe you are trying to get in a good space to not be distracted. So let's just pray and ask God to, uh, to meet us where we are. Gracious God, again, we, we look to you. No other help we know. Thank you, God, that you are the Ancient of Days, the God of yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you that you hear us. And, oh, God, even now as we come to you, looking for you to speak to us through your word, by your spirit, I'm here and I'm asking, oh, God, that you fill me afresh so that the words that I speak, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, you are my strength redeemer pray this lord jesus in your name amen amen so we are going through a a teaching series right now strength in god how do we find strength from god in this this new reality of covid-19 i would with God's help, I'm going to lead us through what I found to be a powerful process and, and phases of grief and loss. I've had my share of seasons of grief and loss, so um, it's my prayer that I will be able to share with you from a very real place, from where I've been and how I've allowed God through surrender to carry me through some dark nights of the soul because there may be one, maybe one who's tuning in this morning or with us here as we worship together that's experiencing a great deal of grief and loss in this season. It's our new reality, I would say, our new coronavirus reality. You know, the truth is, just as devastating as grief and loss is, to be immersed in unreality is just as devastating. And for the Christian, for the believer, the follower of Jesus, we're called to be with God in reality. And so the question becomes, how then do we walk through this? How do we find strength? How do we find comfort? Like I said, I want to share with you from where God has touched me, strengthened me. So the verse that comes to mind that I've been praying over this, uh, this time of preparation comes from 2 Corinthians, um, verse, verse 1, 2 um, Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. I love that verse. It speaks some truth to me that we all, to some degree or another, will experience affliction, grief, loss, pain. 
But God, the Father of mercies, will provide comfort and strength. And in such a way that as I experience that, I'm able to be that safe grieving space for others. So may we, as followers of Jesus in this season, find comfort from God so that we might be that container for others to hold them as they go through. I believe to do that, it takes going through, the, going through these phases of grief and loss. I'm going to talk about them today as we look at the story of Job. I believe sometimes when we are faced with grief and loss, we respond different ways. Uh, these two extreme ways. On, on one extreme, uh, many people will go through denial and distraction. You know, stay busy. And there's the other extreme that's just as unhealthy where we wallow in the sorrow. We find ourselves stuck, and paralyzed. These two extremes, and, but many of us will fall somewhere on the spectrum between the two. But what is God calling us as, as followers of Jesus? What does his word teach us about walking through grief and loss? I want to look at these phases from the story of Job. Um, there's three phases we're going to look at. There's a lot more, but I only have time to just to do three. Um, we're going to talk about what it means to pay attention to your emotions so that you can lament before God. And then what does it mean to wait on God in the confusing in between? And then finally, we'll talk about letting the old give birth to the new. I believe leaning into this process will, will in fact enlarge our soul's capacity for intimacy with God, to see God in a, in a whole new light, and give us capacity to be compassionate towards others. So again, as we look at the story of Job, what I want to do with this, with this amazing book, um, we don't have time to, to exegete all of the amazing themes that come out of this and all of the questions that this book stirs up. So we're going to just focus on uh, just zooming out about like 40,000 feet, right, and get us an overview and some historical context of the book. But then we'll zoom in to look at these phases and how Job, in fact, walks through these phases as he's experiencing suffering that many of us could never relate to. I love how the theologian um, once said that uh, the story of Job is the story of us all. Story of Job, story of us all. You see, the, the book unpacks some real truths about the human experience, raises questions about, you know, why does evil exist in the world? Questions about, you know, where can you really find friendship? If God is so good, then why does he allow evil? Is God all-powerful? Again, we don't have time to do all of that breakdown. I just want to look at these phases. We begin first um, with what we do know about Job. Um, the text describes Job in the first chapter as being a man of extreme integrity. He was blameless before God. 
He was a blessed man. Blessed with an intimate relationship with God. One that was so intimate that God could say, look at my servant Job. Job was also blessed materially. You know, the text describes Job's possessions. Um, You know, Job was a a rich brother. If if, If he were in modern times, Job would be the kind of man we would see on the cover of Forbes magazine. You know, every year being the second or third wealthiest man in the world. The text describes him as he was the greatest man in the East. Job had camel money. Job had camels, a very unique and a unique animal. He was rich. He was blessed with children, 10 children, three daughters, seven sons. So to have all of that as your profile, it makes what happens next to Job so tragic. You see, we get this this breakdown of Job. And then in the very next scene, we're in the presence of God, right? As the Bible says, the sons of God assembled. They, They gathered together. Now, we don't know exactly if this is happening in heaven or maybe on a mountain like Sinai or Zion. We don't know exactly. But we do know that God, by his grace and sovereignty, is still allowing Satan into his presence. So the devil comes. And they have this exchange and this challenge. You know, there's a lot we could talk about, about spiritual warfare and evil. But one thing that I have found to be comforting that my dear mentor and and pastor, uh, Tony Evans, once said, (laughs) I love this. He says that when it comes to the devil, you know, Satan, our adversary, there's nothing that comes or touches us or our families or our lives that does not first pass through the fingers of God. You so 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 Job now is going to experience testing from God and temptation from the enemy. You see, God doesn't tempt us, though He will test us to see our love. While the enemy will tempt us, tempt us to curse God. That was his whole desire with Job. But in it all, God had the enemy on a leash. God's got this coronavirus on a leash. Do you believe that? Do you have faith in that? Hmm. So the game is on. And then we see in these next couple of chapters how Job experiences in one day utter devastation. He loses everything he has. The text describes how four messengers come to Job And before one could finish, another comes behind him delivering more more bad news. How his children are wiped out at the very end by a horrible windstorm. Job's response is where we find this first phase of grieving. Job, the text says, shaves his head, tears his robe, and goes before God 
and he worships. He takes his pain, the pain of losing his children. Can you imagine? And all that he's now he's stricken, he's poor. But he cries out to God and the text says he never curses God. Job was paying attention to what he was going through. His emotions by by shaving his head, by tearing his robe, crying out to God like that. Paying attention to those emotions, lamenting. To pay attention to the process of grief and loss is healthy. Unprocessed emotions don't go away. It's like burying them alive they will eventually come out, whether it's through leaking or sarcasm, being cynical. It's not healthy to bury our emotions. Job gives us a good picture of what it means to cry out and to grieve and to lament before God. Now, we all respond to grief and loss differently, like I mentioned before. Um, I wonder... What, what's your family of origin? How did your family process grief and loss? Because oftentimes our family of origin or our culture of origin will model for us how to process grief and loss. Now, I'm from the South, um, traditional black community, black church experience. So I, I find there's a, a good mix in how uh, my people process grief. There are some that are very dignified about it. You know, and then there are those that if you go to a funeral, you, you better close that casket at some point because somebody might jump in. You know, we wail, we cry out, you know, we all do it differently. I know some cultures are very different, more stoic, no must, no fuss. But how do we as believers, how does God call us to process grief and loss. I believe God intends for us to pay attention to our emotions. You know, Job's three religious friends, the text says, they came and they sat with Job. You know, word got out real quick that Job, the greatest man in the East, is now the poorest man in the East. And then when they came and they saw Job, at this point, you know, head shaved, they didn't even recognize him. You know, Satan continued his testing and his tempting, and now Job goes through physical suffering. The text says his body was covered with boils from the top of his head to the sole of his feet. These boils would, as we read later on in chapters in Job, they, they would burst and the pus would run. Some would get infected with worms. Job was not a pretty sight. And his friends just sat with him at first in silence. And then as Job began to, to feel the misery and suicidal thoughts, Job cries out in chapter 3 in his, his prayer of lament before God. I want to read this to you. It says, after this, Job opened his mouth and curse the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. 
May God above not seek it, nor let light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. And let the blackness of the day terrify it. Job cursed the day he was born. Now, when his friends heard all that, oh no, that's when, that's when things get really interesting. And for now, now the, the next 35 so, so chapters, they are preaching to Job. They move from being compassionate to giving him advice. You ever had a friend like that? That when you're going through something, you feel worse after you talk to them? These friends, religious friends, had a very, very shallow, narrow theology that didn't include the mystery of God when we're going through suffering. For them, it was a pretty, you know, straight case. A determines B. If you sin, only, Job, if, if you have all this, this, this suffering and this, this, this wrath of God, obviously, there must be sin in your life, brother. So, repent. Cry out to God, man, so that this might end for you. And then Job has in his ear, his other ear, his wife. Oh, you just need to go on and curse God and die, Job. Are you going to still hold on to your integrity after all of this? Just curse God and the same challenge that Satan posed. I'll cause him to curse you to your face, God. Job continues to cry out. Suicidal thoughts, depression, a true dark night of the soul is what he's enduring through all of this. As he's paying attention to his emotions and crying out before God, I believe he, he's crying out just like what we see throughout all of Scripture. How God is giving us this, this gift of lamenting as a way for us to respond when we're going through grief and loss. We see it, we see it modeled by God. In Genesis, in the story of Noah, how God grieves that he even created humanity. We see Hannah, a woman that's barren. God has closed up her womb and she's crying out to God, praying, praying deeply and longing for a son. We see David, a man of a God's own heart, who when his good friend Jonathan and his father Saul were killed in battle, David wrote a song of lament and called the nation to sing this song in honor of Jonathan and Saul. In New Testament, we see Jesus modeling for us how he, was, how he paid attention to his emotions. When his dear friend Lazarus passed away, the text says Jesus wept. He wept over Jerusalem. We're told that and warned not to grieve the Holy Spirit. The Spirit grieves. So as image bearers of God, we've been given this gift to grieve and to take these, these complaints, the frustrations to our God. Pay attention to your emotions, the grief and the loss. You know, when I ask this question, I almost forgot, you know, as we're going through this pandemic, here's a question for you to ponder. 
What losses have you experienced during this coronavirus pandemic? Have you taken time to slow down and pay attention to what what you're experiencing right now? Or are you being so busy, you know, you just want it to be over, and you're not slowing down to pay attention? Make a list. You know, maybe you are experiencing in a deep way the loss of physical connection. The fact that we've had to just totally reinvent how we do worship in this season. Maybe that's hard for you as an extrovert. You need connection. You need people. You're missing people right now. The Zoom and the FaceTime is not enough. I understand. I get that. But maybe you're one that this is just great. We all have our list. Maybe you, because of this, you are grieving the loss of quiet because your home is now filled with everybody doing schoolwork at home, doing work at home. You don't have your routine. You've lost your routine. Maybe you are a graduating senior from high school or college, and now you've heard that you won't have a ceremony. You're not just feeling lost. You're feeling robbed of an experience. Have you slowed down to pay attention to those emotions? Have you brought them before the Lord to grieve? And trust that he hears you. You know, I've, I, I personally have had um, some tough days over these past three, four weeks. I believe at uh, the very onset, onset of this, I was experiencing some low-level shock. I would uh, find myself just kind of drifting off in my thoughts as You know, news feeds are constantly coming. Another press conference every day. More information, misinformation, conflicting information. And I find myself unable to absorb it all. And then I get the news that I'm at risk. And I began to process this for a couple of weeks. It took me a couple of weeks to really get in touch and pay attention of how God was coming to me. And I got words for this. I've been experiencing the loss of freedom. Many of you know, some of you don't know, but when I arrived here in California with my family some two years ago, I had just been diagnosed with Cushing's disease. I had a tumor on my pituitary gland and needed brain surgery. With God's grace, God's power, I've been healed of this disease. No more diabetes, so I'm thinking, you know, the high blood pressure, the high cholesterol, all the tumors, blood clots. And so this past year, I find myself feeling so much more, you know, whole, restored by God's grace and your prayers. Thank you, Jesus. But then when I get this memo from my doctor that you are at risk, Mr. Upshaw, your history of diabetes, and in an instant my freedom went so now i become this at risk for my family i praise god for their sacrifice and caring for their daddy you know and i wonder how many of you are carrying this load for loved ones 
carrying the load for yourself and you're, you're experiencing this deep loss, are you paying attention? Are you bringing it to God? This is what Job was doing. This is what Job models for us. He's cursing the day he was born. And soon his cursing actually turns to searching. He's looking for answers as to why he's going through this. He's thinking, I, I've lived an upright life. You know, it reminds me of this second phase of grief and loss, and that's waiting on God in the confusing in-between. Waiting on God. Now, I confessed before that, you know, grieving is not, I'm not a fan of grieving. And I know we live in a culture that is not a fan of waiting. We hate waiting, right? I mean, we work hard to make things efficient and quick. No one likes to wait. So it is a sheer discipline like lamenting to wait on God. There's spiritual disciplines for us, given to us to enable us to have a deeper intimacy with God. To wait on the Lord. Job in these chapters is crying out, asking God to, to just, just, just speak to me, Lord. I just want to see you. I want to hear you. And all the while, his religious friends still attacking him. Brother, just, just repent. So then Job cries out. I love this. In chapter 19 of Job, beginning with verse 1. Then Job answered and said, how long will you torment me and break me in pieces with words? These 10 times you have cast reproach upon me. Are you not ashamed to wrong me? And even if it be true that I've erred, my error remains with myself. If indeed you magnify yourselves against me, Know then that God has put me in the wrong and closed his net about me. Behold, I cry out violence, but I'm not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass and has set darkness upon my paths. This is Job crying out, feeling tormented by all that he's going through, and then the so-called advice of friends as he's waiting in this confusing in-between, unsure of how long this is going to go. How many of you are right now feeling the impact of this, these confusing times? We don't know when this is going to end. Will there be a vaccine? Can we trust our leaders to make decisions? Maybe I should just take it in my own hands. I'm okay. I'm healthy. These are confusing times. What is God seeking to do in the darkness? Dear mentor, Pastor Pete Cazero was sharing this week to pastors around the nation of how to lead as emotionally healthy pastors in this dark time. So enriched by that Zoom meeting. And he says that 
we are in a corporate dark night of the soul. John of the Cross talks about the dark night of the soul that as individuals we go through at times. But can you imagine that we are globally in a dark night of the soul? This confusing place where God seems silent, God seems distant. It's hard to cry out and worship when your heart is heavy with your present reality. But can we be confident that in the darkness, God is still working? Beneath the surface, God is still moving. Psalm 37 and 7 remains for me one of the most radical commands for a follower of Jesus. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Be still before God. Wait patiently for him. See, there's a promise. There's a promise for us in these dark times, in these confusing times. There's a promise for a new beginning, a promise of resurrection, Jesus. Now, Job was innocent, but there was one way more innocent than him. The one Jesus who was without sin, who endured the cross. But with the promise of resurrection, we can let the old give birth to the new. That's this, this last phase of grief and loss, letting the old give birth to the new. See, I call these phases because they overlap. There's not this clean, well, if you apply this amount of pressure, it will then produce this at this appointed time. No, it's not like that. God is the God of seasons. And being the God of seasons, he will appoint the beginnings. He sustains you going through and he will call for it when it's to end. Calendars, God is the God of seasons. And these phases require us to surrender to the process that he's doing in us. So we find finally in Job chapter 38, God speaks. Yeah, God begins to answer Job's questions. But just like our mysterious God, he doesn't answer their questions the way Job was asking them. You know, Job is asking us, he, he, Job would like, hey, God, you know, you're the almighty judge. I get that. I don't dispute that. So as judge, will you just kind of like lay out the offenses? You know, how have I sinned? Because Job's thinking, I can tell him I'm innocent. I didn't do it. But that's not what God gives Job. He doesn't give him that explanation. His religious friends are trying to explain it's because you sin, brother. Yet God, in these two poetic speeches to Job, he takes Job to the school of wisdom. You see, the book of Job is one of the wisdom books of Jewish literature. Filled with beauty and mystery. <laughs> That's God. That's God in this season. And so he takes Job and he kind of sits him there and he runs off a whole bunch of questions to Job. He shows them the beauty of nature. All of these amazing animals that most can't be tamed by man. 
at God. He's asking rhetorical questions of Job, knowing that Job could never answer them, but saying, you, God. And as this happens, as God is speaking to Job, something new happens in Job. And Job, you remember in chapter 19, when I read about his, his crying out to his friends about feeling tormented, Later in that chapter, beginning at verse 25, Job reveals what his heart is longing for. And he says, for I know that my redeemer lives and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God whom I shall see for myself. And my eyes shall behold and not another. You see, this, that's the work that God is seeking to do to us as we go through trials and hardship. He's wanting to reveal another layer of himself to us. He wants to take away some scales, some distractions that are impeding our view of him, our intimacy with him. Oh, we, we, we got some distractions. Amen? You know? And maybe in this dark time, this confusing time, this difficult time, God is by his mercy, sovereignty, and wisdom removing some distractions. Thank God for a building. But the building is not the church. Wherever we gather, we are the church. And right now throughout this country, around the world, the gathered church are worshiping together. Maybe God had to remove some things to allow us to step into a new season of him being Lord, of him being creator, of him being God. That's what Job discovers. Before God restores and blesses him again, before all of that even happens, Many scholars would debate that. Oh, yeah, sure, you know. I mean, he gets everything back. That's the new. No, it's not the new. Those are just graces from God's heart. No, the new is where Job says in chapter 42, beginning at verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. And that no purposes of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you will make it known to me. And here it is. I have heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. This new thing that God was, was birthing in Job required that he go through the pain and the suffering so that he just be naked alone in his faith. Naked alone in his love for God. What does God need to remove from you so that he can have your heart? The possessions? 
So based on these phases, I, I, I wonder, where are you right now? Where are you? Are you taking time to, to daily pay attention to your emotions, bringing them before God and lament? Maybe you're finding yourself in that confusing place. And here's a reflection question for you to ponder and maybe share with someone close to you. What new thing or things might God be wanting to bring forth in your life right now in this difficult season? What things about yourself or about God have you discovered recently? Things that you have rediscovered because you're slowed down now. I believe God is moving. I uh, spent some sweet time on yesterday, um, over an hour just processing. One of the, the gifts I've received over a decade ago is uh, it's what's called the iceberg, you know. It's a way to process our emotions. Just four simple questions you can take and, and bring that in your quiet time before the Lord, you know. So I did that. I, I, I just processed before God, what am I mad about right now? And, oh, I had a list. My frustrations, my complaints, I just, just laid them out before God. That led me to the things that I'm, I'm, I'm worried about and anxious about, you know. I just processed those out, wrote them out in my journal, my prayer journal. And then that led me to talk about the things that I'm sad about. What are you sad about? And then finally, I was moved to those things that I'm, I'm glad and grateful for. Take some time this coming week to do an iceberg with the Lord, to process your emotions. In the meantime, we will continue to be available for prayer, for counseling. I want to encourage you to tune in this Wednesday at 7 as our brother Jonathan Holmes will, will be a, a beautiful follow-up for our time this morning, for you to, to walk through and get some, some, some just good time of equipping so that you might be that comfort to others by God's grace. I want to pray now as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table. Man of sorrows is Jesus, a man acquainted, familiar with grief, so, God, we can come to you in our pain and our sorrows and our joys and know that you meet us just where we are. Thank you, God. Thank you for those that you've appointed in positions of leadership over us. I pray for wisdom from you as they make hard decisions in this season. I pray for an extra measure of patience and long-suffering for us as your people, God. Thank you, Lord, how you're moving. Thank you that resurrection is promised through death. So what things, oh God, are you looking for us to die to in this season that you might bring forth new life? Oh, we love you. Thank you for your gentleness towards us. Thank you for being faithful this morning. This is our prayer, Lord Jesus, in your name power of the spirit.